Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs in the Maybe. My name's Ed Mann, and today it's a two-man pod again with my good friend, Mr. Michael Budd. How are we doing, Mickey? Hello. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. And you? I am very, 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 very good. Thank you very much for asking. <laughs> that was a bit of a weird entrance, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, so how are these going, though, man? How, how's things going this week? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I'm full of a cold, which is uh, always nice, but... I, just in time for Christmas. Try, hope to get it away. The idea is to get it done now before Christmas comes. To be fair, I've got like two weeks, right? So should be okay. It has to be a pretty bad cold to last that long. So yeah, it oh, should you, be you right. should not have said that. No, you should not. Have, yeah, totally we've fake. got. Yeah, we've got audio. Yeah, exactly. We've got audio proof now. Yeah, set in stone. But yeah, no. This week has been good because uh, I handed in my masters the other day. Wait. Wait. Hang on, hang on. Oh, I haven't got a. I've got a drum, and I've got a. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, that would be the only time we use these sound effects. For this particular show, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's going to have to be a thing now. Now now we've actually invested in Zencaster. I should say that to the audience. Yeah, we are on the Zencaster bandwagon now, so we've invested in it. We've now got a subscription. So, yes, be be prepared for so many sound effects now each episode. If Lou had control of those sound effects... I would be scared for for my ears. Yeah, me too. Me too. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, really, uh, that that's just amazing getting that the way. It's so weird now to get back in the evening and be like, I don't actually have to do anything. And you uh, mentioned you say you can play like games or something. You're like, I'm going to play on the Xbox. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not a big gamer, but I last night I was like, well, might as well play it for half an hour. I've not done that in over four years. Serious. Down frag some people, some noobs. Yeah, that's it. So um, yeah, that that's pretty awesome. I just now scared to death of what will actually happen with it. I, I don't think it's good enough to pass, to be honest with you, but, you know, I don't know what I could do. Never the optimist, Mickey May. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm perhaps maybe a little bit too self-critical, but um, I, it isn't good, you know. I know it's not, so. <laughs> it isn't good. But, I mean, so from, from the last time we spoke, from last week, uh, has there been any progress with it? Have you Obviously, you had to write the dissertation. Was there anything from those findings that... You haven't uh, been able to find the show yet? It's really annoying. I did find a few sort of like um, bugs, but um, it's just too late to do anything with because I already handed in the code. So, But I was able to write about it, uh, but then it's just like maybe you didn't test your code properly. So it's um, some of the roundabouts. But uh, no, I mean, at the end of the day, like I, when I look at the marking criteria, it says that, you know, to pass, you need to have done a, a reasonable attempt at it. And I think I did, actually. You know, I I don't think there's anything wrong with the way that I tried to tackle it. And actually, before, uh, one of the things I was thinking is, you know, the most common approach to this kind of thing is uh, ordinal regression and and then using decision trees to find what out. What the hell is that? Uh, I don't think I could answer that question well enough for this show. But basically, so uh, have you played much with decision trees before? Like an, an idea of how they sort of work. No. <laughs> so basically, and this is going to be a really poor explanation. I, I wasn't prepared for this, but basically, like when you think like you, you've got these different like branches, your nodes on on a decision tree. Um, sorry for so that. Like a yes, no answer or something. So yeah. like, okay, sort of, yeah. And but basically, the way it does it, well, one of the ways it does it is um, through entropy. And there's a guy who's a really 
famous, and I can't think what his name is, but I'll try and put it in the shadows afterwards. But basically, he he made up this equation, this entropy equation that basically calculates information gain from a, a particular attribute type. So the the way that the decision tree will work is it will say, well, what is giving the most information gain at this point? Um, so you can like kind of disregard uh, some of the stuff that's just irrelevant. And the way it will then, it, it'll, it'll work out what the most important thing is. And then, and then it creates a new data set and you keep going down, down, down. Um, obviously, the first thing it will do is try and say, well, look, none of these ever get to anything. So put them aside and then use the things that are most important and stem off from them. It was a really poor answer, but hopefully I'll get the uh, the equation um, and we'll put it in the show notes. But yeah, so I really don't can't remember where I was going with this, but yeah, so that's the most popular way of doing it, I think, is what I was going to say. For, for that kind of problem, which is like a ranking problem. Um, so, so how would that work then? So you would, you, you'd make a decision tree based of your results or based on the criteria you yeah, want? Yeah, I mean, for a decision tree to work, you need a data set with, and you need to know what the classifications are for like each, um, you know, sort of set in your data set. So you need to know what the classifications are, and then it will tell you what it thinks the most important things are within those to, to get to those classification points. So um, so I created my own data sets from my data and put it through uh, this program called Weka which is okay. basically a machine learning application that has gives you access to all loads of different algorithms. It's really good if you're into that kind of thing. So I did use that just to see what happened. And um, that is the most popular way of doing it, I think. I think it's called, in machine learning terms, it's called learning to rank. Uh, that's what you would call like, this kind of problem. So, But that said, like when I was doing more, more research... Um, you know, genetic algorithms are an acceptable way of doing it because the beautiful thing about genetic algorithms are that they're very much geared up to the idea that you, you really don't have a lot to go off. You know, you just, you know, you're really letting the genetic algorithm do the work. And in fact, one of the papers that I read said that, you know, some people can get really obsessed with like the, with like your fitness function. So for every like iteration, every mutation that you do, obviously you want to find out how fit your results are. And he says, you know, spend one of the authors said spend less time on the fitness function because really, okay, yeah, your genetic algorithm might take longer, but there's other things you can you can do really if if it's set up right, then the machine learning will do, do the task for you, the genetic algorithm will do the task for you. So, so I don't think whilst I chose genetic algorithm because that's just what I was interested in, I don't think it was a bad choice for for that particular task. I really think my downfall was the lack of data that I could get my hands on. Um, I honestly think engagement was was probably a huge factor, and the only really, I mean, the last chapter of my pa- uh, paper really was, you know, how you would take the project forward, and I think the way to do that would be is if you could access sort of the engagement figures for each site, you'd have to have a lot of buy-in from end users and uh, and get data that way, and I think you probably could get more information from that, but. Um, yeah, I, I think I made a reasonable attempt at it, to be honest with you. And there are, of course, things I would change, but, um, you know, speak to anyone who's done like this kind of final project. And uh, there's loads of people who say they never really succeeded in what they were trying to do. So it's really more the the way that you applied yourself to the, the task, I think. So, yeah, it's in the hands of the gods now, really. So, well, <laughs> the, kind of the, uh, the marking gods. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It sounds really cool though, man. And I'll definitely need those in the show notes for the show notes. There's links because I'll have to be uh, looking into that. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, I'm really annoyed. I can't remember the, uh, the no, uh, dude. Hey, you're finished now. You're free. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it feels amazing. It really, really does. 
Yeah. So how about you? What have uh, you been up to? Uh, well, I haven't finished a master's dissertation, so sorry about that, audience. Oh. You know, not as, not as interesting, I'm afraid. Disgusting. <laughs> I have had some, some interesting bits that come up at work, actually, though, uh, that I would love to talk to uh, you, well, to you and the audience uh, all about. Uh, it's actually talk to you, but then talk at the audience. It's not very nice, is it, really? It's a bit rude, really. It yeah. is very rude, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so the first one uh, was, well, so so last week I did a couple of deploys, uh, some early, early morning deploys just uh, to get some bits done. So we upgraded Kong cool all happened all good there moved over to postgres on that that was okay and then i made a change um a kind of a very not naive change but very much like oh yeah that's all right i just add a column in the table uh in a postgres table and i'll just update the column because i need to get prehistoric data essentially so notified that so i was like yeah just set all those to what the email was set at so we're splitting it up so we have email sent out and we have push notification essentially sent at uh fields in the table and i was like yeah okay well for previous ones let's just set all their email sent at you know sent sorry let's set all their push notifications to the ones that were the email was sent at uh and yeah that seems fine on a very small data set and then you get to one of our data sets which uh in live and also in actual to be fair in development because we use a, a just a clone of the the production ones so we get real results uh yeah it wasn't taking it was taking a long 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 time uh and in fact it would have taken like six hours of locking because uh, this this table is huge um and it was really interesting actually because trying trying to to resolve it so not only was the fact of thinking okay well i can't just do an update so if i did this update and i set that to that um it would lock the table and no one would be able to use it okay so what we'll do then is we'll go through and we'll slowly you know do smaller locking essentially where it's like okay we'll update in this range then update in this range and then slowly build it up and uh, i was tackling that on the day so slowly you know doing that and then notice that data dog comes along and says hang on a minute you're using quite a lot more memory now there's a lack of hard drive space and i was thinking oh that's a bit weird and i looked and it was like whoa and what actually happened is the data set had ballooned to almost double the size uh, on live the, the, the actual table along with the indexes and speaking to gavin um who's very good with postgres uh, a lot of experience with it and he really loves it he's he's the one that got me you know actually switched over to postgres yeah. um but yeah speaking to him and, and kind of understanding how it works it just blew my mind so i think we definitely need to get bruce back on the show to discuss it um yeah. but essentially from my layman's terms of what really happened so what happens is, is you know, we've got that idea of the MVVC, which is the whole idea that I can be re- writing something while you're reading it and things like that. And it helps a lot with uh, transactional stuff and keeping things, you know, with, with concurrent things wanting to happen, etc. cetera. Yeah. Uh, essentially, to do that and to do an update, instead of an update actually replacing it, it actually does a full on copy of it. So, you know, it's because it's, it's the version that you've got because, you know, in a snapshot, you're saying I'm looking at things. So when I'm in this transaction, I'm saying I'm looking at things at that version and then someone else may have updated, you know, to a new version up past it and stuff. But you're still looking at that same snapshot of what you already had. Uh, so you can't just update things willy nearly. You have to say, all right, well, I've got this updated version and now you set the pointer essentially to that. This is the newest version. Uh, so you can see what's happening there. It's an append only thing. It's an append-only list, essentially, append-only data structure as opposed to a actual replace, a mutable a replacement. Um, so anytime I did update, it was, of course, incurring pe- um, space penalties. Uh, and, you know, and the same thing with indexes. Indexes as well, there have been lots of dead nodes. You'd have to just recreate it and also recreate it with the new one as well. So the, the, what, there's a couple of ways of getting around this. So the first way and the best way would be to say, okay, then we'll do this massive operation and then we'll do a vacuum full. 
And essentially that recreates the whole table. So because of what happens and the way that it stores blocks, uh, Postgres is storing, it stores an eight kilobit blocks um, or pages essentially. Um, it will try and fit as much as it can in those blocks for each of the records. So you may be able to get a couple of records in there. But once it can't do that, it then needs to go to another page. So sometimes you're very lucky and you're like, actually, this row can actually just go in with this page as well. So you can just, you know, add it to what you already have, essentially. But typically what you'll find is you'll have to add it to the end, especially if you don't mess around with what they call the fill factor. And the fill factor is that how much of this block do I want to actually use or this page, sorry, do I want to use before I go on to a next one? So in a table which is going to be updated a lot, you really want to actually say around, you know, like, you know, guesstimate of how much you want. You, there are, I'm sure there are like kind of, um, you know, like mathematics, you know, like formulas and stuff to work this out. But we've kind of gone with like at the moment 95%. And you say, all right, I want to use about 95% of this before I go on to the next page, before I, you know, go on to actually add more row re- records in another page. Because it allows me then, um, after the fact, if I do want to update one of them, it may hopefully be able to just add it to that row as opposed to creating a new page, you know, et cetera, and add it to the end. Um, but yeah, so the, 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 the good way of doing this, the, the best way would be vacuum full, trouble with that is it creates a whole brand new table and essentially you know it's defragging it essentially you know it's putting it all in order it's all nice everything's continuous and it's how it should be it's brilliant but it locks the whole table so you then go into well i you've got this this kind of catch haven't you where it's like okay well i want to do a vacuum full pretty much because i want to gain some space back but i also don't want it to be locking because i want to be able to people to be able to use this table what can you do so we, I was stumped by it, I'll be honest. I was thinking, so fortunately, we we're able to remove one of the indexes. You can actually do a re-index and that would have removed the, you know, lowest, you know, uh, reduces the size of the index because there's a lot of, lot of empty nodes that it doesn't need to worry about anymore. Um, but yeah, so Gavin pointed me in the right, in the direction of PG Toolkit uh, and it, um, in particular PG Compact. And there were some really interesting blog posts that I won't try and explain on this podcast because I don't even think I've explained that well enough, Uh, but I'll put in the show notes and it is amazing and awesome. Uh, And essentially what it allows you to do is something called, you know, they call it a vacuum full light, which essentially is I do minimum of locking as possible, but it will give you back some of most of the vacuum full gains, which is, you know, being able to get gain space back. Um, it, yeah, I, I will put it in the show notes. I'll, I'll leave it at that because I don't know whether I've explained <laughs> it at all right. But I, I definitely think we should get someone clever on the show to talk about that at some point because it, it really was amazing stuff. And it, it's that whole thing where, you know, you treat the database as a black box again and you're like, yeah, just updating. And you realize, hang on, what's happening here? And, and then you realize that, you know, understand, you know, understandably what actually needs to happen in the database for you to get the gains of like an MVVC architecture. And then, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And then there's all thing called toast, which is pages that can't fit on two pages or on a single page. So it has to be over to multiple pages and it's very interesting stuff. Um, but we, we took us a couple of days to run that over this table and we were able to get about 10 gig, 10, 15 gig back of space, which was quite nice. Wow. Um, and that was, you know, because of these updates I was doing. So, yeah, uh, updates aren't aren't free. I think that's where where I've learned from is that an update and even a delete isn't free really because of this append only nature. Um, and you really have to take into consideration. And it is really interesting actually where we look at say a dev database. So a dev database is a snapshot, a dump of of 
you know, an old snapshot of of the live database. But when you run that and you actually apply that and you, you set it up on dev, you'll notice that the sizes of the indexes and the sizes of the actual tables are a lot smaller than the ones on live. And that's because the live one has been changed throughout time as opposed to these snapshots. So it's a, it's a really interesting topic. Um, and I'll, I'll, as I say, I'll put in the show notes those bits and hopefully we'll try and get someone on a bit cleverer to talk about all that at some point. Mm definitely yeah it's, it was it was very interesting very interesting um, quite stressful. and another actual pardon quite stressful though uh yes it, I, i'm not gonna lie that was probably one of the stressful it was it was a it was a stressful time doing these changes and then that happening and fortunately say like gavin was there and it was just like this is a very strange thing and the locking is scary as anything because you know you do something and it starts locking the table You're like no we better not do that that's not going to be good um and it's trying to tame and understand the characteristics of a big database yeah. and this is a powerful database you know this is a powerful server we're running it on so you know it, it was a huge data uh, table to be handling um but yeah and it's a historical data and, and you have to yeah you, you get it, it this is the thing where it has you have to take into consideration that and it's not just these small tables that you can easily you know lock for ages or do, do whatever you want with and handle in a couple of seconds it's you know hours work yeah um and yeah and another uh interesting little uh little bug that came up this last week um was to do with, and I think I remember years ago on the podcast talking about it, it was uh, Unicode stuff. I'm sure I did a couple of oh, blog yeah. posts on it, yeah, and discussed Unicode and, you know, multi-bytes, uh, strings and uh, characters set, you know, and how they work and stuff. Um, yeah. And and again, there's been some really good resources uh, online discussing it, and I'll put them in the show notes. Uh, this was specifically to do with, and, and actually, you know what? I think this happens quite a lot, right? So validation. So obviously you have client-side validation and you have server-side validation. Yeah. And a typical thing to do is have like, say, a length of a string. So you're saying, I want the length of the string to not be, well, let's take the Twitter example, over 140 characters. So anything over 140 characters, you know, it needs to be 140 characters or less. So we'll have it on the client side and then we'll have it on the server side. And, you know, the client side's nice because they won't have to do a full page, you know, round round trip to the server just for them to be declined and say, sorry, your tweet isn't good enough (laughs) or isn't short enough for me. Um, And and, I mean, I'm sure this is what you must do as well. You know, all these typical applications kind of this server, you know, client side validations rules. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, that seems pretty trivial. And and, and how would you go about then uh, doing you know string validation uh, string length in javascript uh, uh uh i to be honest with you i'm trying to think now um can you just do length on it dot length yep, yep so that's this is what you do is so you naively you'll be like okay so i'll do right so let's do the naive versions on both so we'll do javascript length yeah. on a, on a field and then we'll do a string length str len on yeah. on the post on on you know whatever content comes in the server yeah. Now, both of those actually represent characters' lengths in different sequences. So a <laughs> JavaScript implementation of a length or, or a byte. So length is actually a byte. Or, or, or sorry, how many code I suppose length actually is in JavaScript. What it's saying is, is it's saying... I it's an need, array of charts, right? It is an array of charts, but then what is it? What is a char? Is the problem yeah. because yeah. so in, in PHP, uh, you, it's just eight bits in a byte, so it's a byte. So each byte is counted up. But in in um, in JavaScript, it's sixteen bits or sixteen yeah sixteen bits per character 
or per you know kind of right. point it can use yeah so what that means then is for every one on javascript that it thinks is one actually it's two on php side oh right because okay. you can see that can't you where yeah. and and that's the problem with it like so and what the other problem is is to say in jar in php what we did was like okay then well we encode everything in unicode 8 we you know submit it in unicode 8 and then we use uh you know use mb string len and we're able to work it out correctly that side perfect that sounds cool you then get the problem still on the javascript side because so say in the case of uh, emoji so an emoji is how would you deem emoji? I guess I would say it's the length of one. It's one character. But JavaScript thinks it's two because actually it's something called a surrogate pair, which is it requires two different byte or two, you know, 16-bit numbers to represent it or code points to represent it. Yeah. So, yeah, it gets a little bit annoying there. You're like, okay, it's two there. And then I go into MB string length and I'm able to do it and it goes one. So it's trying to unify these. Um, and I found really good blog posts, actually. Um, Matthias Bayernens, um, he's done loads of work with JavaScript emojis and things like that. Uh, and he, he's one of his mantras is stick a emoji poo in, in like, you know, one of your tests just to see if it breaks, uh, you know, because it's just one of those funny ones for it. You know, and I say, uh, you know, essentially what you're trying to do is you're, you're making sure that you can handle all these characters because, you know, if I put an emoji in, if I allow an emoji, it should be a length both on, you know, server and client side should be the same because that's, you know, how the validation should work. Uh, but yeah, so we we're turning out, uh, you know, sorry, it was kind of diverging there. But yeah, so that was the problem that we were having where, you know, the strings weren't represented correctly in the, in both. Uh, they were being represented correctly on, on PHP side now because we've been, you know, dealing with it that way. But what we need to do with JavaScript was we didn't really want, you can use things called like puny code and stuff, which allows you then to deal with it on the client side. But we didn't really want the heavyweight use of that. So we ended up just using a nice little bit of script, actually, that again, Matthias did, um, which essentially what it does is it replaces any any um, character sequence or any character, sorry, that's outside of the BMP, uh, which is essentially the representation that can be done in 16 bits of a code like a character that can be uh, can represented in 16 bits a single 16 bit uh, and it replaces that with a just like an underscore or an acid character or you know a character that can be represented in a bmp and what that allows us to do then is be able to do a str- like a length on it and it correctly works out what the lengths are which is happy days uh but yeah it was one of those funny ones where it yeah it can bite you so much i mean i character encodings is one of those mysteries still to me in some regard you know with like all the different ways you can do it and stuff and yeah it's really interesting and and another actual thing to do with that and this actually really was kind of like the the the, the parent to the problem of what we were actually having with the emoji stuff and all the character encoding was that if i did an enter so back in the day you know, when computers were young and all this, and actually when computers didn't exist and you had the idea of a typewriter, you know, you had the idea of carriage return new line. So you have dash R, dash N. Yeah. So you can actually represent though new lines in a couple of ways. You can represent them as dash R, you can represent them as dash N, or you can represent them as dash uh, RN, you know, dash R, dash N. And so you can represent them in two, you know, or one, byte or you know character representation however you want to think of it um and obviously and also you can actually do it with unicode now as well which is even crazier but essentially what could happen then is if i did a new line or in one browser or in one operating system it would be coming up as two characters 
because it's doing two, you know, a sequence to return, do a new line is two as opposed to one. And again, it's working out and unifying that to make, you know, because on, the, again, in PHP, it was saying, yeah, it's fine. It's, it's, it's a one, but actually in the browser, it was saying it's two, et cetera. So we had a lot of interesting bits to do with that. But I'm thinking there's a, definitely a blog post in there to discuss kind of the, you know, the joining of how to deal with new lines and how to deal with Unicode um, supporting, you know, kind of characters outside the BMP that, you know, it, you deal with it and handle lengths in a, in a more succinct manner. Wow, I had no idea. So, I, I, this is the so trouble, isn't it? Until you yeah. go into it and you go down the rabbit hole, you don't realize how crazy it really is. And I really do point, it would point you in the direction of this guy's blog because he discusses it in so much length, but he explains it in such a good way. Um, but I do find sometimes what happens is, is I read it, I get it, I solve a problem or I'm, you know, in my headspace, I'm in the headspace for it, and then I'll come back to it and I'll be completely lost again until I have to reread things again. So, yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where you're just like, yeah, always use MB string lang and always, you know, remember the fact of, you know, the BMP and remember how, you know, certain characters are in certain planes and they require, you know, like UTF, how many characters really, how many bytes it really requires and things like this. And, oh, yeah. and I think that's the trouble with JavaScript because it uses a 16-bit or two 8-bits, essentially, sequence as opposed to what, you know, like say a PHP would do, which is just bytes. And this is what C did really, which was just a byte processor. You know, it's dealing with each byte as opposed to a code point, which is an actual single entity. Um, but yeah, mine was blown. I'm not going to lie. Those, those two problems last week were just like, wow. Okay, this has uh, been an interesting week. Got a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds it. Um, and and another thing, actually, um, and actually, this is something you mentioned ages ago: um, testing time-dependent actions or testing right. time-dependent functions. Yeah. Um, you know, you you mentioned to me you were saying like, oh, you know, how do you do that? And and you you know, it's it's very hard to simulate obviously a real time because you need the real time to be there. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I kind of I don't know. Did we ever speak about it? Did we I don't think we ever spoke about I think it, did so. we? No. Not that I remember. Have you got an example like, of one of the like one of the time dependent tasks you were thinking of when you were trying to? Um, oh, so it was thinking it was like running daily automated reports, um, and I think I was just basically hacking the the current time, basically just put just literally sort of hard coding something in, say this is the time, and doing it that way. But obviously, then that's okay. You can, I don't know, I'm not explaining this very well, but. It, I remember at the time thinking it, it could have been a nicer way of doing that somehow. Did that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so essentially, yeah, it's 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 one of those things where you're dealing with something that is, in, you know, it's kind of uh, external to you. It's a global state variable, essentially, isn't yeah. it? And it's bad, it's tainted, you know, because you can't really mock it because it's something that's out of your control. Um, and, and there was a couple of th- ways that over the years I've kind of thought about it and, and changed it. So... You know, there's a couple that the simplest way would be supplying the current date time, you know, so every time that you want to do it, you just want to, you have an action, you say, okay, then we'll, here's the current date time, you do your work with it. And that allows you obviously at the top, the highest level then to say, okay, this is the current date time, you know, or sorry, whenever you're running that method, you know, provide it with the current date time and it allows it to decide what it wants to do. So when you're but essentially bootstrapping your code for the command, you would supply the date time each time you want to invoke it. Uh, that makes testing it's really easy because obviously you can just provide it with you know st- uh, stub date times that you want. Fine, cool, cool, cool. That's a one way of getting around it. Um, if you if you want to still maintain and kind of 
you know, the amount of the actual work you want to do with that time, you know, if you want that to be kind of in, incorporated in the service itself, if in some regard, so it's a dependency of it, you can kind of abstract out the concept of time as well. So you could have this idea of like a clock interface, you know, where you implement the clock interface and, you know, the default one is the real one, whatever you want it to be. Uh, and it allows you to, you know, pass that in and say, okay, this is the current clock interface. And then it, it, it then it kind of inverts that where you don't have to deal with it every time upon each invocation uh you know you're not providing it with the date time each invocation and it keeps it within the service so if you want to give it to someone else to use um but it also then gives you the ability to when you're in the testing phase to be able to stub or you know spy well however what you actually want to do probably best thing would be saying stub actually so you want to stub out the clock um you know with the exact time that you want to test and see you know simulate in the real world there um actually and there's the so those were the first two that i kind of did and, and thought of um and then there was there's two actually new ones so with the uh, you know with joe's work on uops uh actually what you could do as well is you can actually override and this is a bit scary this is kind of like the monkey patching thing in ruby where that's what they would do so obviously we have these hard-coded new date time uh you know what that's how we do it or date create or whatever we do within the class that creates this new time and that's the problem because we're creating it within the class so we have no idea of how to you know we had no way of injecting it so the first two ways of mine was injecting it through a parameter or injecting it through a construct and it you know it generates it using that service um but yeah so what you could do instead is you could actually say uops go and override the implementation essentially monkey patch the date time and return this instead now that allows you to not have to worry about the design at all it doesn't change the design at all uh but it then it also gives you the flexibility of being able to actually test it correctly because you're still able to do what you want to do but it does kind of impede on you know what you're essentially doing is overriding things that you probably shouldn't be overriding um you know like i think you know some of the things joe was thinking of when you when he invented uh, UOPS was the idea of being able to override stuff in legacy code, such as like exits and stuff, because these are things you couldn't deal with and it would just crash your test suite. So I would, I would be a bit cautious about that. Um, a newer one, and this is if you're in the carbon world, so if you're into like the carbon um, abstraction on top of date time, as you can actually, and they provided it essentially is with a set time now. So you're able to set the time. So if you pass around carbon objects and you're happy in your you know, domain doing that, uh, you can then set the time now. And then obviously that will do a similar thing, essentially where you know it's the abstraction on t- top of date time, which is allowing you to say, okay, well, actually I'm just separating this out and I actually want this to be this instead. So when carbon wants to get it, it's able to get the actual one you want um and those are kind of yeah so those are like three different ways of doing it and i'm interested to see what what what's your opinion on these like what one would you kind of lean towards i remember you recommending carbon to me to be honest with you. i think originally when i was speaking to you about this you said carbon uh, but i've no, never really had chance to try either of them so um but from what you just said maybe I, yeah probably carbon to see, be it's interesting because I, I kind of i don't know like for me actually now it's an inch like Changing your design and having like a clock interface just for the fact of testing, it always comes up and this discussion always does come up. It's like, yeah. are you changing your design just to make testing easier as opposed to actually making yeah. the design better for the fact of, you know, making the code better? Uh, sometimes, you know, test do aid and, and create better design. But in this case, maybe you are just creating it for the sake of creating it to make it easier to test. Um, I don't, mm. I, you know, I, I very much, I mean, I'm of the case, of the ilk now where I like, pure functions and i like things where it's easier for me to understand at a function level so say i have a class and then i pass in the current time 
So it allows me to explicitly see, okay, this is what's happening, as opposed to really what's happening with the clock interfaces. It's a couple of levels up, you know, a couple more, a bit more in direction where you're saying, oh, yeah, actually, I'm creating this new instance of this and, and things like that. And it's passing in the interface, um, which is the mock is essentially, or the, the stub, sorry. So I think I would maybe lean towards more the parameter because it's explicitly at the time of invocation, you're saying exactly when it is, so you know what it is. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, these way, I mean, uh, they're all trying to do the same thing, you know, trying to make test doubles out of time. Uh, but it's a really interesting, uh, you know, kind of discussion. And it'd be awesome to see what the audience think about what they feel. Yeah, 100%. Awesome. One thing I was using this week, I think I told you a little bit about it before, but um, so the project I'm working for at the moment for my uh, my client, he obviously has he has a separate CRM system. So I've kind of been putting this bit off for a little while. He's using uh, Microsoft Dynamics. How is that? Um, I I don't like it. To be honest, I honestly don't feel I've ever played with a CRM that I I could say I liked. Yeah, um, that is the problem, isn't it? <laughs> there's, there's so many of them out there because most companies need a CRM system, and and there's a lot of money there. Like you know, all the people I know, all the organisations I've worked for, uh, you know, pay for CRM systems. They're really expensive, you know. So, um, when you pay that kind of money, you expect something good and. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't like it, to be honest with you. And I don't know if this was just a, a bug on my end, but um, it renders completely different for me on Mac to what it does on Windows. Lovely. That's a great. I, I don't really understand that because if it's in the browser, right, it should render the same way. You would you would hope so. Obviously, they think then, you know, that they can sniff based on the OS and they want to make a different experience. I, I mean, is that based on also in Chrome? And so the Chrome version of the of a, a Chrome Mac version is different to the Chrome Windows version. So that must be it then. Yeah, because I mean, I was if it using is it on Chrome. Yeah, but um, in Chrome, you've got like, on Mac, you've got a really kind of um, reduced kind of version of it, really, basically. Graphically, it looks awful. Maybe it was just an issue, a bug or something, but yeah, it was, it was not nice. But then trying to integrate with it was, it was made a lot easier, thankfully, because of, you know, the amount of people, good people out there who do like... Um, open source contributions and i was able to find a composer package i think it's php crm toolkit and uh, and that made it a lot easier so so what is the uh, crm doing then what do you actually need to interact with well i mean essentially i mean for my client he whenever we get a, a new subscriber who signs up for a trial so i'll obviously store them in the in our system and then basically he wants it then in the he wants to relay the CRM it to them. system right yeah yeah so yeah, I tried putting it in a queue task because it's not particularly fast doing that either. Um, but also, it was just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was a bit nasty, to be honest with you. But um, I'd like to find a really nice PHP CRM, actually, with really nice kind of API. That would be that'd be fantastic. Mm. And then uh, maybe go that way. But yeah, that, that wasn't fun. I, I mean, if to use a CRM at your place or um, not, or in in house. So we use desk a uh, desk. I don't know whether that's a CRM though. I mean, I suppose it is because it's kind of like you know dealing with customers and things like kind of tool. Yeah, yeah. So I think desk is probably what we you know, and we kind of interact with that through. They have like email hooks to be able to send new customers in and things like that. And I think they even have the API and stuff. So it's not it's not terrible. Um, that sounds but better. Yeah. yeah. Well, but then they say they're all kind of very similar in what they do, aren't they? Or not really what they do. I suppose it's like how they hook in. But their main goal is to get as much information in and then keep you in 
their product. So yeah, yeah they're, they're kind of maybe it's great for them to import stuff, but exporting things maybe a ball lake or something like that. I don't know. So here's another one for you, uh, and this is like something I feel like hasn't changed in like 500 years, but the old sending emails. And obviously, I'm still doing it. I, I'm correct in saying that you there's still the best way of doing it is in tables, right? If not the only way of doing it, pretty much. I, you mean designing emails? Yeah. Oh, man, I haven't done that in years. But yeah, I, I think <laughs> it, aren't, there's some couple of really good... Um, like boilerplates aren't there online to do with dealing with it but i think you may be right like to deal with the whole generic handling every different type of email client which is like the dreaded thing you could ever want to do uh Mm. is yeah you would have to kind of deal with it at the base case i know that laravel actually in 5.4 i know taylor's been speaking about that he's been dealing making kind of a a nicer api for dealing with a nicer interface to deal with this mail and like handling mail and stuff and handling emails and presenting mail and stuff like that but i'll put that in the show notes as well so it would be maybe check that, that out quite sure definitely check that out see if that makes because you i think this is the thing like, and he's also got this idea of templates and things like that so it may be right up maybe perfect timing for what you're doing uh actually mm-hmm. if you're dealing with having to deal with emails and dealing with i mean this is where it's just like a simple email is i know people want the freddy emails and and the you know nice things but sometimes just a plain text email is so much easier and actually works compared to these other ones well, it's just it's a real mindful because I was talking to a friend the other day, and he's in a, he's more in marketing, but uh, they send out emails to millions of people, and they found that a bounce rate had just gone up a huge, huge amount. So bounce, like, bounce rate is people don't li- or it's people get spam. Sorry, or something. it wasn't bounce rate. This was um, emails going into junk, basically, so they weren't even you know seeing them. Yeah. And, um, well, that's yeah, because they're probably high junk, but no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this turned out to be that they had uh, an error in the HTML. Really? Oh, people weren't like, oh, interesting. They found, they fixed the HTML, all validated. And then, um, because I think I'm like you, really, I'm a little bit, I'm not a cowboy, but I don't really 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 concentrate on that if my html validates anymore i just i don't think anyone yeah. i mean the trouble with pitch with html5 is that it kind of went the other way where although it was bad yeah. html it didn't feel like xhtml so people weren't you know and, and the whole concept of everyone wasn't like oh look at me i've got my little tick which is telling i'm a valid you know people don't do that anymore um because yeah. browsers are probably more susceptible and, and the trouble is is that yeah they they handle it i think we, we kind of went through we want to be really strict we were like really relaxed then we're really strict and now we're kind of going back more relaxed um but obviously I feel like emails has not no. followed the same oh, trend no. stuck. yeah i it hasn't evolved at all in my mind no I mean, no completely not absolutely not yeah. and i think that's yeah unfortunately one of those things so is that what you're tackling at the moment then emails I am, um, yeah. I mean, I've, I literally kind of like put aside one day to do um, sign up process. And um, how long? I'm how long you been? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm second two days now, really, because there's so much to it, you know. And you're just making sure you do it right. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I put in Google Capture, which was really nice. That was effortless, actually, really fantastic. But uh, you know, your activation links, that kind of stuff, and just. And then all your emails, sending off to people, the CRM integration. And obviously, this is the bit where you really don't want your code to fail, right? Because if people never sign up, then you can't even get any further. Yeah, you definitely want the the introduction to be as seamless as possible. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot going on there. I, you know, I'm using transactions to make sure that certain things really do all work together um, and must complete. Just lots of little pitfalls, really. Um 
it's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, like back in the day, I probably wouldn't have spent an awful lot of time on sign up. I'd probably been like, oh, you know, into user table, off you go, done. But now I kind of think of things more uh, sorry, sophisticated. Sounds more a bit over the top, but I, I do think of things more about you know how how it will all work and. It's a bigger uh, yeah, picture, isn't it? It's looking... It's more a, it's, of a design process, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So some of its parts, like, you have to kind of have a macro and micro level quite a lot of the time, going in and out, kind of seeing, like, the small bits of, like, okay, this tiny little query is doing this, etc. Like, the, can I shave a bit of performance out of this little query here? Okay, now now I need to look at the big picture and how do, how do people, what's the story like of, you know, an actual user just coming in and trying to sign up? And how about the story of, you know, a user that has signed up or hasn't signed up or is partially signed up and yeah you have to yeah. think of all these things and as you say if you're a one-man band you know you've got to be thinking of these things all the time and and i think there's a skill in learning how to try and split up you know like working on smaller bits and micro looking micro and then going macro and things like that it's a really interesting kind of problem but i think as well i think you're absolutely right but i think there's also there's a ux side of things as well i mean how do you feel about like a two three page sign up does that annoy you do you feel like you should sign up on one page? That's the thing. I suppose it, the trouble is it all depends on the service, doesn't it? Because, you know, if it is something that is very much like easy, I mean, like because some of these services you have to sign up and you have to give a lot of information. Now, if, if it's something you don't really feel like you need a lot of information up front and you can get it after the fact. Like, I mean, let's look at Zencaster for a case, actually. So Zencaster was great. Like you sign up, you get a free trial. So you have as minimal information as possible. I think you just needed a username, email address and password. You probably wouldn't even need an email, a uh, password, a uh, username sorry because you could probably just use your email address but the way it works you know is that you, the urls include that so those were the things it required you verify your email address i think and then boom you're in and then now it's like oh all oh, my subscriptions ended all right now what do you actually need from me okay you just need now my contact my credit card details my card details okay that's all you're getting so that's all they've got from me and they've got it in a very seamless experience because they've instantly hooked me in um because it was a quick sign up process it was a couple of it wasn't a couple of pages it was a simple one page and you're in uh yeah. experience and you're straight into the interface where you can start playing around and seeing what's going on and that's perfect for what we're like which is hackers essentially and like developers who like tinkering and working out things i think we spoke about the last episode where we like to you know experiment ourselves whereas some systems may need and and you know let's say like if i was doing signing up for a new bank card or something i probably would want as much information up front as possible uh, and yeah. I wouldn't like to be able to just tweak and play around because I suppose this is, again, with a, a volatile system. Like this system, if I break, you know, or like I accidentally record something and I can stop it and delete it, it doesn't really matter. But if I'm playing around in my, you know, my bank website on my bank website and i'm just experimenting trying things out it's like probably don't want i want as much information up front as possible about how to use these things um so it's a different i think it's just a different way and it's working out where you are i guess where your product is i think yeah and i just think it's a really i think that it's a really good point where you're saying that you've it's almost like a staggered approach like you you know you're taking little bits and uh, if you can i think that's it because i mean if i signed up for a bank card and i only needed to give like a username a password and a and an email address it'd be a bit mm. weird like you know you would expect a bit more of a sign-up process um you yeah know, so i think you cite it's based on your assertions of what you feel like a product should be uh, and i think nowadays with like products online like these kind of products like zencaster maybe like what you're doing you want that quick initial hit tinker with it yeah play with a trial and then then they'll you know investigate and sign up because I know I wouldn't have put my my credit card details my card details in with Zencaster at the beginning without playing with the product first and seeing what they actually offer. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think there's certain questions that will get people's back up. And I think one of those questions is something like, how did you hear about us? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, it's not something that benefits no, you. And, I think uh, that's, okay, yeah. It doesn't take long to do. Do you ever put the right answers, though? Because, I, I mean, like, if I can't look at it, I find, like, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I can't find what I did. I just oh, put right. anything in. Like, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, the, I think the click through on that that's actually right, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and at the same time, but there can be really genuine, you know, good questions that you're, like, for us, we, we have got a page two, but it's because we want to know what, we're just asking the, the, the users what's important to them from this product. Because it might be they're coming for something that we're not delivering, but we could quite easily give them. And unless we do, unless we have that data, we're just completely blind to it. Which is where you know I think um, you know your company, for example, might be really good with the, the focus group. I think that idea is brilliant. Um, but I guess if you can get some of that information at sign up, it's it's also helpful, right? It's um, as long as you don't wind up your end users, and that's I think that's it. It's working out what you can do with your end users and stuff. And if you keep pestering them i mean once they're signed up yeah. and they're invested and they they invest a lot of money and and i think actually we spoke i think actually it was really interesting it was like an adam wathen episode like last year i think uh and it was like uh talking about um you know like kind of these things and and talking about like sign up like so when you know like a big company want to look invest in a product they're looking for the fact that can they pay on an annual basis or something like this like they're looking yeah. at you know and they probably want upfront that guy would probably want upfront as much information as possible on your product about you know what can you do what we want to do because i've got to go up to yeah. my higher ups now and say yes we can get this let's buy this uh, as opposed to oh, I need to twink, you know, t- play around with it. I actually have to, you know, trial it for a bit. Like they probably don't even want to trial in some regard. They just want to know: can you do the product? Can it work? Can we integrate it? Because we haven't got time to do the trial and see if it actually works for us. Um, yeah. So again, in that taste, the sign up process and that may be you may have to go through a person to deal with it. You know, a kind of person that helps you through the process so yeah it's, it's a really interesting one actually like the different types of processes that you see online and and in general on how to sign up for something and where your product has to be or what wants to be in, in that kind of case but i think as you say if you've got a page two i mean it's funny you say like oh it's a dreaded page two but if it works for your product then that, that's okay yeah. and it doesn't stop you from changing it in the future you know it, it really no. doesn't stop you from saying okay actually how about we delay asking for this information until they've actually visited the site for a bit and then we pop up a modal or we do something i don't know you know kind of send an email out and stuff but obviously maybe that case you won't get as much through rate much uh, many eyes on it but it's just something to think about well i think for me the one thing i said to to my client and i'm not a ux especially uh specialist at all but i just kind of think well what what would i like what would annoy me I remember you having a white on white design uh, in our. I love that. It was it was a white background and it was white text and uh, it's gonna it was gonna work you know it, it was huge yeah. I mean this was solid text you know that you it was definitely ahead of its couldn't time, see it? definitely ahead of its time ahead of its time yeah it was too good yeah. yeah in years to come that will be seen as the a trend setting website <laughs> but, the white on white but no I think for me the recommendation I said was like I think two pages are fine but just make it very clear that there are two pages. So having that kind of process, you know, the little steps at the top of the page tells you where you are, then it's really nice and clear. You're not conning anyone or anything like that. It sounds bad, but yeah. maybe that's bad though as well, because if you if you see yeah. a page and you're like, oh, it's two steps, really? 
can I be a, can yeah. I be bothered to do this? Like what That's happens? True. You know what happens is is then people like they do the first page and like oh I've invested in this now. All right, it's only this page. All right, then I guess I'll do well, it. And so yeah, it's funny actually yeah. it, it being honest and then also being a little bit cheeky and saying well actually we just need you to answer this now. I'd rather be honest. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I just think well, it's, uh, it's the best way guy, to be. You're a nice guy. <laughs> I'm neither of those things, but thank you. <laughs> well, um, you're not honest and you're not nice. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not too bad. I guess. Um, yeah. There was some. Oh, yeah. So last week I plugged the documentary yes. that I'd not watched. Yes, and you which did is very unlike me. Oh, yeah. Right? It never happens because you're an honest guy. Because yeah. I'm a nice guy and a nice guy. Yeah. But um, yeah, I did watch it. And uh, it's very well worth watching. I do recommend it to because I'm a bit of a you know fanboy when it comes to Johnny Ive. I just I love the fact that you know it's just this standard guy came out of uh, Newcastle Polytechnic and he's now like head of design at Apple in California. I love that. And um, but I also you know I was bang on about it, but I love that kind of Apple ethos. And and he he said it as well in this program. He said you know what makes great design, and he just said just caring about every little thing that you can't really you can't really argue with that can you no and whilst i am honest and a nice guy i and also obviously my code is perfect you know i i, I love it but I, obviously i don't always adhere to it but i just think no, that's it's a great ethos to try and like i mean I, I, yeah. I can't think is everything is perfect like define no. perfect you know like it's yeah. so subjective on what you feel on that day um, but no, I mean, that's really good. I'm, I'm really glad, though, that you actually watched it. You know, I'm really glad that you pinned something, <laughs> you, you, you repped it, and, you know, it's actually... It's quite designy rather than uh, developery. But um, if you're into that kind of thing, then, uh, yeah, I think it's called Brits Who Design the Modern World or something like that. So. That's very cool, man. Awesome. And actually, on the side, because I know you tweeted about that, actually. So on that yeah. side, talking about Twitter and stuff, um, so you'll probably see, audience, uh, if you are on Twitter and you are following Three Days in a Maybe, that we are kind of more active at the moment uh in tweeting um so i'm trying to make a vested interest uh, uh and actually try and you know tweet out things that we've talked about in the episodes and stuff and tweet about previous episodes and stuff because i realized it was like over a year ago that i spoke to like dan admiral about redux and stuff i was like oh wow god that was crazy how long ago you know time has flown this year yeah. has just gone like crazy um so yeah so i was just like you know so yeah on twitter and stuff so let me know if it's completely bombarding you and you hate it uh, or if you do quite like it and it's quite cool you're like oh yeah i remember that episode and you, you know if you want to listen to one's back and stuff but yeah audience let me know how you feel uh, and also itunes reviews how cool would it be mickey if we got some itunes reviews you know some more ones you know if people were really nice and gave us some i just i think just some more from fraser just pretending to be other people that would be that'd be even better yeah, to be honest yeah, with you yeah just, that's true yeah. fraser, oh, fraser I mean, is very good at yeah yeah, he has quite a few kind of alter egos, doesn't he? Yeah, but, um, <laughs> yeah maybe some genuine Aishin reviews would be good. Yeah, that would be really cool. Uh, and yeah, and, and just like feedback and stuff, like contact the 3 com, like kind of what you want us to hear, what you want to hear about and things. And yeah, and like how, how you, yeah, what you want us to talk about and who we want on and stuff. And if you want to come on, you know, if you feel that you've got something you want to plug or you want to talk about, you know, an interesting topic, just let us know because, yeah, we, we'd love it, I think. New, the Topics new year will, definitely yeah, yeah definitely absolutely and people you know who like they're like oh it'd be really cool if you know you spoke to this guy about something can and also maybe if people have any recommendations uh purely selfishly here really good sort of uh pitch pcrms and what was your feel oh yeah maybe like uh their recommendations for any sort of libraries for making good emails yes, responsive cool. emails as well 
especially would be really cool and then maybe we could look at a few of those and discuss them on the show and be pretty awesome yes definitely all right then audience well i think it's been another great episode in my humble oh, opinion i would not this is the best episode yeah, definitely exactly just keeps yeah. just keeps topping each other you know you know uh <laughs> when you try and think about yeah. good episodes i don't I, I think they're all kind of they're all as good as each other they're all perfect they're all absolutely exactly. perfect yeah uh but audience yeah. it's been another great episode and uh, we'll speak to you again next week <laughs> goodbye yeah cheers bye You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe.